Good morning. Don't you hate it when skinny people talk about being fat? <laughs> Thanks, Michael. It's good to laugh occasionally. The Bible says laughter does good like a medicine. And some of you need a dose or two. I'm just saying. Uh, this is what a spring sweater vest looks like. It is now spring, just so in case you wondered about that. We, uh, we love our church, and we want to hear God speak to us. Earlier, some of you maybe didn't understand what was going on or hear it, and there's a little bit of confusion, so I want to come back and bring some clarity. God spoke to us, as he often does, in a variety of ways, and sometimes he uses a person to speak to us, and the word that came to us basically was this, that we don't need to fear. Regardless of what we see going on around us, God is in control. Um, depending on how you want to look at it, it may not be the exact phrase, but about 366 times I've been told that there's a phrase like, do not be afraid or fear not in the Bible. If that's the exact number, that's very interesting because there are how many days in a year? And when we have leap year, there are... So God's got you covered even in leap year. A word for every day, don't be afraid. Fear not. God wants us to be people who walk in faith and in confidence in him and who have the ability to look past the obvious. That's what we often do, right? We just see what's right in front of us, but we don't see what's behind that. And often God is wanting us to see past the obvious and see what he is doing. So I pray for you today that your eyes would be open to the work of the Lord in your life. Having said that, we come back to a series called Seven Days, the final week of Christ. We looked a few weeks ago, the first of the, the, the end of the last seven days of his life here on earth, uh, starting on the Sunday, we took the triumphal entry and what that means for us. And basically, it means this, he's always in control, he always wins. He's worthy of all praise. And if you don't see the victory yet, just keep looking. Don't quit before you cross the finish line. Don't give up before you receive what God has for you. Then we looked the next week and talked about Jesus cleaning out the temple. That's always a scary one for some people because they got a lot of mess in their life. He comes in to clean up your life to get the garbage out and to refresh, replace what's there. And instead of your, your house, your temple, being a place of worry, a place of fear, a place of doubt, a place of discouragement, he says your house should be a house of prayer. Now, thank God that we have a place. We can come together and we can worship God together. But if you are not a person of worship, if you're not a person of prayer, can I tell you that coming to a place will have very little impact in your life? 
It'll be good for the hour and a half that you're here. But how many of you know you're going to leave in a few minutes? And you got to take something with you out the door. You've got to be a person of prayer, a person of praise. Last week, we looked at Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. How many of you prayed last week, God, give me a chance to serve somebody somewhere? How many of you, God, gave you a chance? I mean, it may be something as simple as opening a door, giving a smile. It may be something much more significant like speaking a word of encouragement or a word of direction. God uses us to be a blessing to other people. It's what Pastor Michael was talking about a minute ago. So today we come up to uh, kind of toward the end of the story here. There's three Sundays left in this series. And they're going to take uh, us through a period of uh, just a few hours, actually. Not even a full 24-hour period. We'll start now with the Lord's Supper. Mark 14 records it. Matthew 26, if you have the notes, the The reference points are up there, Luke 22. In Mark 14, it reads this way. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. By the way, the festival of unleavened bread and the festival of Passover are the same thing. It's just another name for it. Um, I'm trying to think of a holiday we have like that. But uh, it used to be called, still is called Memorial Day. and It's been called Decoration Day and different things that we call it. They refer to that same, that same time frame right there. This refers to the same thing, the Festival of the Unleavened Bread. It's also the same as Passover. When it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Okay, I got to be honest here. When I read this, I'm like loving this because this is like some super spy novel. Go to the city. You'll see a man with a pot of water. Follow that man. When you get to the house where he is going, speak to the owner. And so now it's probably truly not that cryptic in real life. Maybe it was, but, but probably Jesus knew the guy, and this is his way of identifying. Now, why was Jesus maybe just a little bit cryptic in the way that he talked about this? Here's why. There was a guy named Judas, and Judas was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus didn't want Judas to know where they were having Passover, because that would have been a very opportune time for uh, the, 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 the Jewish leaders to come in and capture him. And how many of you know that this time frame we're looking at right now, by the way, last week the washing of the disciples' feet fits in this same storyline right here. It all happened on the same night. And then he teaches and he prays for them and all these incredible things that need to happen before his job is finished. How many of you have ever noticed that right as you're heading up to a deadline, that that's when you get a whole lot of work done. Because it has to be finished by this moment. So, so this is like a really weird uh, um, confession here for you. But I like to watch some of the cooking shows on TV. I really do. And not that I cook, but I do like to eat. That's probably why I grow out and, and whatever. But 
it's amazing watching some of those people when they're like got a 30-minute clock or a 40-minute clock and they're cooking stuff. And it seems to me like just watching it, that at the beginning they're like, oh, yes, we are going to take this, you know, and we're going to marinate it with this, and then we'll do that. But at the last, like, 45 seconds, I mean, I'm just telling you truthfully, sweat is flying Hats are getting knocked off. People are jumping over benches. It's incredible in the last minute. So Jesus is headed toward this last minute of this assignment, and he's got to get it all in. So he didn't want Judas to know where they were going because Judas would have probably brought the Jewish leaders in early, and it would, would have prevented Jesus from doing what he was supposed to do. So led by the Father, directed by God, he did all the right things. When you see this guy and you go to this place, tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room uh, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? It's very possible that this was a follower of Jesus that Jesus already knew. By the way, this happens in the upper room, Passover does, in Jerusalem. A lot of scholars believe it's probably the same upper room where they met on the day of Pentecost and they were praying. So it's, it was kind of neat last year when we were there looking at all of that and, and seeing what's going on. Uh, he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparation for us there. The disciples left, went to the city, found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were sad, and one of them said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread in the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. What a horrible summation of a person's life. Your life did more damage than good. And in this case, your life to Judas personified evil. What a horrible thing. And I want to tell you this. It was by the plan of God, but he had the choice to either accept or reject. And he chose to go his own path and follow the work of the devil I just want to say this in, in, in quickly in passing. I don't want to delve into this. I don't have time. But one of the tragedies of church life and church involvement is that there are people in churches, sometimes leaders, sometimes different people, but they actually think they're doing good and they're doing right, but they do evil. Guard your heart. Make sure that you are doing the right thing. Of all the people to betray, how sad, how sad. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and went giving thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
So as you look at this story, I'm going to come back and break it down a little bit for you. But the first thing you got to understand, this probably confused many of you through the years, confused me for a long time. But the Jewish calendar, it's actually based on what they call a lunisolar, lunisolar calendar. So it's different than the calendar that we use. It's based on the moon and the phases and based on full moons and that sort of thing. And that's how their months are established just a, a, a little uh, tidbit of information that I think you'll find interesting. Because that was the, the Jewish calendar, it, it would go pretty well for a while, but then it would get off a little bit. And typically it would be at this time of the year right here. When they got to the end of the year, and it was supposed to be time for spring to start, but spring wasn't starting yet. And you can look this all up and Google anywhere and find it. But what would happen is they would have a leap month. Now, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Anybody in the room born on leap year? Any leap year kids in the room? Any leap year? It's cool to be a leap year baby because, like, when you're 40, you're actually 10. <laughs> Think if you had been born in a leap month. <laughs> I mean, it's not just February 29th. I mean, it's a whole new month. Nobody even knows about it. They would have this leap month to kind of get it caught up. So, so that's why Easter jumps around. In, in 325 AD, I think it was, let me look at my notes and make sure that's right. The Council of Nicaea agreed upon the basic principles of Christianity, and they established a formula for the date of Easter. It is the full moon that falls on or after the spring equinox. How many of you lost already? Now, what that means in practice is that Easter always follows, is always the first Sunday after the first full moon that falls on or after March 21st. How many of you just want a chart so you can look up when Easter is next year? <laughs> Easter can fall anywhere from March 22nd through April 25th, depending on how all that happens. So that's why it jumps around. I just thought it might be good for you to kind of have a handle on that. In the Jewish faith, Passover was always celebrated on the 14th day of the first month, Nisan, of the Jewish calendar during March or April. How many of you have a Jewish car and you didn't even know it, a Nissan? There you go. Um, so it would be at different times, and actually, Passover was an eighth-day celebration. The first and last two days were the holy days set apart, uh, and Jewish holidays always began at sundown, and they ended at nightfall. So it's, it's a different concept for us, and that's why most of us kind of go, wait, Easter, I mean, you know, most of our holidays are on like a certain day. You know, I, I read a story the other day about uh, somebody, they were, they, there was some one of those shows where they're testing people's intelligence. And it was like a multiple choice. And it says, what day of the week is Thanksgiving on? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday? And, and one guy's like, well, it was Thursday last year. And I think it was the year before, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know, don't put him in charge of anything. Um, but Easter's just weird every year, right? Next year, it's in March. I hate that. 
All, all pastors hate that because we need more buildup. It's like, whoa, we got to start a whole lot earlier getting there. And so it's just going to be a weird thing next year, but it jumps around. And that's the reason why. Just so you know that. Passover uh, centered around a meal that was very rich in meaning. I'm going to get into some of that this morning, reminding the Jewish people uh, of their deliverance from Egypt. Now, this is a really interesting point. Meals have always been a significant part of fellowship in the Bible. Hospitality is a big, big thing uh, in that area of the world. It's something that's very important. And to not offer someone food, to not offer someone lodging if they need that, would be just the height of insult. And uh, some of the scriptures you read will kind of point that out for you. So there's about three things I just want to go with you this morning and talk about. The number one is this. Passover was a prophetic shadow of Easter. I know some people don't like the word Easter uh, because it does have origins uh, from non-Christian perspective. I use it because it's the word that we most think of, and I use it in what I would very seriously mean to be a sanctified manner. Uh, You can call it Resurrection Sunday. That's probably more accurate But not everybody knows what you mean when you say that. So when I say Easter today, I'm not trying to give credence to some other kind of uh, thought process. I'm simply using the term that's most common. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, talk about the the celebration of Passover. Let me give you a few thoughts here. Uh, It uh, it says, on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb, and um, they shall, shall... uh, she'll take this lamb, and they will count for the lamb. And if they have more people, they figure out how much they need to have. And your lamb will be without blemish, a male, one year old. Take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, often people get a little... They don't comprehend... Why all the killing and why all the blood and why all the, the, the this, why is all this stuff going on? Why don't we just do a do-over? God wants us to understand the penalty of sin is very serious. You know, I, I wish that I wish that when people did bad things, it didn't have bad consequences attached to it. But it does. That's the way of life. Jesus talked about it this way. He said there's two roads. One road's narrow. It's a little hard to go on. Not quite as easy. Not many people are on it, but it leads to life. There's a wide road. It's easy to travel on. A lot of people are on it, but it leads to death. Therefore, choose the narrow road. The choices that you make in life have consequences attached to them, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you intend it, don't intend it. So many times we see tragedy in life that happens because someone did something foolish. Whether intentional or accidental, the outcome is still the same. God wants us to know and understand this, that sin always brings death. Sin brings 
punishment. And so for 1,500 years, actually a little more than that, but from the time that it was instituted to the time of Christ, about 1,500 years, every year in the month of Nisan, around day 14 of that month, there would be this sacrifice of the lambs. There would also be a meal and a, separ- and a celebration at the time too, but there was this consequence that had to be understood. The lambs chosen on Sunday will be sacrificed on the evening of the Passover. They're to take the blood of the lamb and put some on the doorpost of their homes. And that was to remind them of the fact that God had saved them and protected them. I can't even imagine how awful the the, the shrieks, the the, the cries, uh, the, the, the wailing, the horror that filled Egypt on the night of the Passover. For everyone that did not put the blood on the doorpost, the eldest son would die. We see that going all through the Egyptian host, but God protecting those who obeyed his word. They were to take the lamb and they were to roast and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. They were to eat the meal, dress for a journey as though they were in a hurry. You can read that all in in Exodus chapter 12. There are many elements of the, 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 the Passover that are rich in meaning. These were not things that happened initially, but things that developed through the, this uh, Passover celebration. One is they would have four cups. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, talk about that. The four cups represented God's working on behalf of the Israelites. The first cup was the cup of sanctification, of separation, where God said, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. For us today, that means that he brings us out from under the penalty of sin. The bondage that is connected to that. He went on to say, I will deliver you from slavery. It's the cup of deliverance. The third one was, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, the cup of redemption. And the last one was the cup of acceptance or connection or praise to God for his provision. God said in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 6, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you should know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The cup of praise for all that God has done for us. There were four questions that were asked on this night. That's another part of the meaning here. And and children would ask these questions of their parents. They would say, what makes this night different from all other nights? And they they would talk about, on this night, we need... Uh, we, on most nights, we not, need not dip even once, but on this night, we dip twice, and there's connection of understanding here. They say, on this night, we, we only eat matzah, or the flattened bread, not leavened bread. Why is that? And they would tell them, this is how God brought us out, and this was what he taught us, and um, we had to eat as if we were in a hurry. And they said, on, on all nights, we eat ve- vegetables, but on this night, we eat bitter herbs. That was to remind them of the slavery that was so bitter that they endured for nearly 500 years under the Egyptians. So it reminded them of all that God had done. And then they would say this one. I love this one. On all nights, we sit upright or reclining, but this night, we only recline. And most scholars agree that this, this was not the original 
path that God gave them, it was altered with new meaning. Originally, remember I just told you a minute ago, when they took the very first Passover, they were getting ready to get out of town. That was their, it's time to leave Egypt and go to the promised land moment. And they were told, when it comes time for you to eat, keep your clothes your, your, your outer garments on, keep your shoes on, keep your walking staff handy, be ready to move. Kind of makes me think of like watching an army movie. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're in a battle zone and they're eating food, but they, they got their helmets on and they got their gear on and they're ready so that at any moment they can move. That's what it was initially. But through the years, it changed. And the reclining part represented the fact that they were relaxed and secure. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, noticed this or not. It's, it's weird to me. Things in my life I've never noticed before. You notice at some point in time. About five years ago, Janet and I got a, a new dog, a, a puppy. She was like this big. Now she's like this big. She is, she is the, the, the match for Clifford, the big red dog. Her name is Mabel, and she's just a good dog. She's a very loving dog. If you ever come over to our house, she will probably knock you down and lick you in the face. Uh, she would never hurt you, but she loves people and loves to be around them. But I've noticed about her the weirdest thing. I never had seen this in a dog before. And then I kind of find out it's somewhat common. I guess all my other dogs when I was growing up were uncommon. I don't know. But when she is totally relaxed and secure, knowing that she's in her house and nothing is going to harm her, and, you know, it, it, they say this evolved over time in dogs uh, when they didn't have to fear being attacked by some other animal. So now Mabel knows she's in our house. She knows she's fine. She's secure. I, 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 well, we should have taken a picture of this. It would have been so great. When she lays down sometime, she lays on her back, and her paws are like this, just kicked up in the air. And she is so relaxed. It's kind of the signal of saying, I know that I'm safe and I'm comfortable. I'm just going to kick back. That's what reclining at the meal meant. Instead of sitting up and being prepared to move and, and afraid, they would recline and it was a statement of their freedom and of their prosperity. And it had evolved uh, to the, this place at that point in time to make them aware of that. Then they would sing the first part of the Hillel Psalms, which is 113 and 114. Then they would share food and give food to each other. And by the way, what Jesus did seems maybe a little unique to us, but it was very much part of the Passover celebration. They would take the bread and they would break it. And then they would break it again and give it out to different people in the family who were there. You know, we, we used to do it a lot different. I don't really think God cares how we do it, just that we do it. Now, it's, if you didn't get on your way in, maybe when I finish preaching, you can go back and get one. But they're back there. And by the way, pick up one to take home with you for uh, Good Friday and watch online and participate with your family that night we used to have trays and all these sorts of things and some people have a common cup where you come up and they drink and they wipe it and that they've got like a germ dissolving rag that <laughs> it's not our tradition so hey whatever um <clears throat> i always want to be first in line when they're doing that i'm just saying but anyway 
it's not so much about the, the mechanics of how it works, but there should be a time of remembering. There was the sharing of the food. Then after that, they would sing the rest of the Hallel. That's why you read here, they did all the things of, of the Passover. Then they went out to the Mount of Olives and they sang a hymn. It was Psalm 115 through 118. The Passover meal reminded them of a release from slavery. It helped them to remember that. The Passover meal is a reminder of God's deliverance. Now, I want you to see the second part, fast-forwarding 1,500 years from when Passover is instituted, and Jesus now will become the Passover lamb. He took the elements that were there as part of the Passover, and he said, I'm going to give a little more explanation and understanding to this. He said, this broken bread is my body, which will be broken for you. And I want you to understand this reality. Jesus suffered physical pain. And it lets us know that he was broken so that we might be made whole. Isaiah prophesied it long before the coming of Christ, hundreds of years before Christ was born. By his stripes, you are healed. He was broken so that we might be made whole. And I would suggest this, wholeness physically is the least significance, least significant wholeness in your life. Thank God for physical health. And I pray that you all have health and that you have strength. But how much more important for you to have wholeness of your life, especially your soul, your mind. He wants you to be whole in every capacity. He was broken that we might be made whole. Jesus is the bread of life. That's what he said to them. This Bread is my body. And I'll just tell you this quickly and, and not leave a lot of room for discussion or debate at this point. If you want to talk more about it later, we can. But there are different thoughts, different Christian faiths have regarding what this means. I, I think it's very clear to me. Jesus used symbolism a lot. Uh, in John, there's seven I am uh, statements that he makes that I did a couple of years ago leading up to Easter, I think. And uh, it's important to recognize that he often spoke in parables. He often spoke with metaphors or simile. And I think that certainly is the case right here. He's not actually saying, when you eat this bread, it becomes my body. He's saying, when you eat this bread, remember my body, which is broken for you. He's the bread of life. The juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus. Uh, and we know that Jesus uh, suffered spiritual pain. We, we think about the fact that he suffered physical pain, obviously, but the spiritual pain of, of that moment of separation when the penalty for the sins of the world was placed upon him, all the things that he endured. And at one point, and this will be a liberation thought for some of you. In that moment of difficulty, Jesus cried out, my God, why? Listen to me. God understands when you have questions. He's not going to rebuke you. He's not going to challenge you. He will help you to work through the question to wind up 
at a place of solution. Jesus knew why, but in that moment of difficulty, it's hard to remember, even for Jesus. The intensity of the pain, the suffering physically, spiritually, the isolation, being abandoned by everyone. It's difficult, but he didn't quit. He didn't give up. He pressed on. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says about this. He said, for the joy set before him, he kept going. He endured the cross, and he actually mocked the pain that he was going through. You may have questions in your life. It's okay, but keep working until you find the answer. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died that we might have abundant and eternal life. It's important we have both of those aspects in focus as we talk about life. Because first of all, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. What does that mean? That means a fullness of life in the, qua- uh, the quality. How many of you want to have quality life? A life that is filled with the, the things that make life good. But he not only came to give us abundant life, he came to give us eternal life. It never ends. Now, if you had one without the other, it would be really sad, just to be honest. Abundant life but that is not eternal means it's going to be great for a while, but it's all going to come to an end one day. <laughs> eternal life that's not abundant would be horrible. I'm going to live forever, and I'm not going to enjoy it, but I guess we'll just have to keep on. But when you connect abundant and eternal together, which is what Jesus gives us, that is phenomenal. We're going to have life to the full, life to the level of quality to the best we could ever imagine, and it's never going to end. This was the last Passover ever needed and the first communion ever experienced. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the release from sin and reminder of his death. But I want to jump you forward as I conclude today to another meal that's coming up. It's recorded in Revelation chapter 19, and it's called the, the marriage wedding celebration of the Lamb. Let me read it to you. It's not in your notes, but, but let me read it to you. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cr- cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. See, I, I, I think if we'd all come to church ready to worship, we wouldn't have to wait for somebody to stir us up. Hallelujah. Our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice. Let us give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represent the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. The Bible calls this the wedding feast of the Lamb. And at that moment, everything that we've had in our life 
comes to this culmination, to this point of fulfillment. What a day that's going to be when we're in heaven. And, and, and right now we know that we're forgiven. Right now we know that, that, that we're cleansed. Right now we know all of these things that happened in our life. But in that moment, it's going to be so clear and so obvious that we've been washed. We've been purified. We've been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That's going to be such a great thing. Not only are we going to celebrate because of the goodness, but all the, the, the weariness and the evil and the difficulty of this life will be wiped away just a couple of chapters later in this continuing unfolding of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. In, in, in chapter 21, it says, we'll see the end of sadness. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of living water. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. I want to be at that meal you know, in the church world, things have changed a lot. Just part of the culture, part of time. And, uh, you know, I counted up this week, counting today, because I got a lunch with some of the new members after church today. Last week, I had lunch with senior adults. That's people who are older than me. Because um, I'll never get quite there. Um, then... Tuesday, I had a lunch with our staff, and uh, then Wednesday, I had a lunch, a dinner with some people in our church, and we had, oh, we had community group at our house last Sunday, and we got one coming again tonight, and, and I thought, wow, we eat a lot. We eat a lot. It's all right. It's all right. There's something special that happens around the table. There's a connection. There's a belonging and it makes me long for that day when there's going to be this great, great meal served in heaven. It used to be when we had meals. Some of y'all remember this. Used to when it came time for a church dinner. And I, I grew up a pastor's kid. I knew how to get there quick, and I knew what to look for. Good and bad. I knew what to look for. <laughs> I mean, no, nobody in this room, but some people, I just want to eat their cooking. I'm just being blunt with you. Put your name out there. Tell what it is. You know, it's just, just, it's helpful. I remember when I first came here and we'd have a funeral dinner. And we had a lot of great old, great saints. Many, many, many of them have gone on to be with the Lord. So now we just get food from Sam's. That's the truth. I, I don't know how heaven's going to happen exactly. And God's probably going to be able to blow all my expectations away. But I think I like the best cooks. When I was a kid growing up, I think I lived in 
in, in, at six or seven different places, different churches. I told my mom one day, I said, I wish I could get all the people I like from all the places we've lived and pull them all together and have an incredible church of all my favorite people. And my mom, in incredible wisdom, this long, I was a little kid, she said, well, son, that's what heaven's going to be. Yes. Yes. I don't know if it's possible or not, but if it is, I'm getting a piece of Elvie Spicklemeyer's coconut cream pie at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if God's got something better than that, I'll take it. We have something to look forward to. I want you to understand today there is a heaven and a hell. They're very real. And the only thing that will shield you from the fury of hell and the only thing that will assure you of joy in heaven is if you have faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And when I say faith in Christ, I'm not asking, did you pray a prayer one time? I'm not even asking, do you pay your tithe? Do you... Do all the spiritual things you're supposed to. I'm asking you, have you put your faith in Jesus? The old song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My faith is in him. And so today when I take the elements of communion my faith gets a booster shot it gets bolstered it gets lifted up it gets strengthened because my faith in him is secure he alone is life put your faith in Jesus would you bow your heads with me for just a moment when it comes to time for communion there are different ways people respond. And the Bible tells us this, that the first thing we're supposed to do, and what I want you to do right now, is to examine your own heart with the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it without His help, because we tend to give ourselves a better grade than we deserve. The Holy Spirit helps us to see accurately. We're supposed to examine our hearts right now. And if there is sin in your life, here's what the Bible says you got two options. At time of communion, they say, I'm not going to participate because there's sin in my life. The Bible says when we participate with unconfessed sin in our lives, that it brings damage into our body. That's what the Bible says, what Paul said. But it also goes on to say this, that when you examine yourself, if you see there's sin there, and here's the key word, confess it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. And then partake. <coughs> the Bible does not encourage you to refrain. It is an option, but it's not the best option. The Bible challenges you and challenges me to let the Holy Spirit show us where is there greed in my heart? Where is there selfishness in my part? Where is there jealousy in my heart? Where is, is there anger and animosity in my heart? Where are there things in my heart that need to be changed? And then to say, God, I, I can't do it by myself, but through the power of Jesus, 
his shed blood, the holy words of Scripture, the power of the Spirit, I believe that those things will help me to be the person I need to be. Oh, God, cleanse me. Here's what 1 John says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. (laughs) You know what faithful means? It means he'll do it every time. You can count on him. Never fail. He is faithful and just. Here's what that word means. We often take it in a negative context, but it's really good here. Just means justice. That he will always do the right thing. You say, oh, I don't even do the right thing because I've done some things that are wrong. And man, I don't want to be judged for that. No, you put your faith in Christ. And Jesus has already paid for the penalty of your sin. Here's the good news about life. When you accept Christ, the penalty of sin is removed. As you grow in Christ, the power of sin is eliminated. And one day, when we're with him in eternity, even the presence of sin will be gone. What a day that will be. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, there's some things in my life that I need to change, to repent, turn away from, and I want to confess right now, I need God to help me. And I'm asking him to change my life. If that's you, would you just lift a hand right now all across the room? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Every day, begin with God. Every day, end with God. Let him keep you strong and secure. Anyone else? Thank you. Some of you, maybe for the first time, you're making that commitment. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. Later on in a few minutes, I'm going to pray with you right now. And, and, and I want everybody to do this with sincere meaning. And I'm going to say this. If you don't sincerely mean it, don't say it. But I think it's good for all of us just to make a commitment to God of our desire to follow him with our whole heart. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you just to repeat it after me. If you raised your hand especially, would you join me in this prayer right now? Repeat this after me. Dear Father. I thank you for Jesus that he died for me because of his shed blood my sins are washed away never to be remembered never to be counted against me I confess my sin I repent of my sin and I thank you for your forgiveness I thank you that because of my faith in Jesus, my faith is secure. Thank you for the promise of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Could you just give the Lord praise, not by clapping your hands, but by lifting your voice right now? Just give praise to God. Say, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, God. We bless you, Lord, for for salvation. We thank you, Jesus, for your love that took you all the way to the cross. Bless you, Lord. If you'll take the elements of communion and pull the bottom piece back and uncover the wafer there, the little piece of bread. Jesus took the bread, he broke it. I wish I had more. There's so much more I could tell you about this, but hopefully you got the gist of it today. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. 
And he said, take, eat this bread. It represents my body, which is broken for you. If you're glad that Jesus suffered, that we might be made whole, would you partake of the bread, giving him thanks? If you'll pull back the container of the juice. And he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood, which creates a new covenant with God. Fellowship has been restored. You're now sons and daughters when you put your faith in Jesus. He said, this covenant, this blood is the covenant. This cup is my blood, which creates a new covenant with God. Would you partake of the cup, giving God thanks for his shed blood? Would you give the Lord praise for his goodness? We bless you, God. We bless you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.